Hello, and welcome to Transforming Talent. I'm your host, Ed Crow, the talent transformation expert for organizations seeking eight-figure growth. We work with those organizations to break through revenue ceilings and realize the business growth that their companies are capable of when they get their people firing on all cylinders. We believe that every business person has a unique voice and a unique angle that makes their business successful. And those are the kinds of movers and shakers that we interview on the show. So stick around to the end of the show and we'll reveal how you could be our next guest in about 30 minutes. So let's jump right in. Hello and welcome to today's installment of Transforming Talent. I am your host, Ed Crow, the talent transformation expert for a company seeking eight-figure growth. I'm so excited to have Tyler Robertson with me today. Tyler is the CEO and founder of Diesel Laptops. Tyler, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you very much for inviting me on, and I look forward to having some great conversation with you. Yeah, I mean, our, our, our pre-show chat is, is very intriguing, and uh, to, just to let our listeners know, uh, I, I had to stop myself a couple times in our in our pre-chat because um, Tyler's got, I think, uh, not just a few nuggets of wisdom for us, and I want to be surprised at what he says, too, just to, as all of you will be. So I guess first, Tyler, tell us a little bit about diesel laptops. Uh, you mentioned you bootstrapped this thing out of your, your garage. So tell us about that journey. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the short version of diesel laptops is we're in the, we're in the B2B space um, and we're in the, the trucking uh, repair space. So we provide efficiency solutions to people fixing on-highway and off-highway powered diesel equipment. And we do that nice. through diagnostic tools, through training, through SaaS platforms, through repair information, and a call center staff with diesel technicians to help people. Um, but the, the, the story here is it was me a little over seven years ago. I quit my job. I had a, a one-year-old and a three-year-old and a stay-at-home, uh, my wife didn't, <laughs> didn't work. And uh, like, hey, we're going we're gonna to try to make a living here and try to eke a thing out. And you know, through that journey, I'm sitting here seven years later. Uh, we have almost 200 employees. We'll, we'll be at 200 by the end of the month. And we'll do a north of uh, 70 million in revenue this year. And we did it the, I guess what people call the hard way or non-conventional way today. I think yeah. it was a conventional way years ago, but it was bootstrap. And we didn't right. go take angel money and investor money. I, I literally started this thing with a thousand dollars and just kept doubling down, doubling down uh, mm-hmm. for years. And we're at this point now and we're sitting great. We're profitable. We're debt-free and we got a big future and a long runway ahead of us. So I'm, I'm really proud of what uh, the entire team's accomplished over here at Diesel Laptops. You know, it, it, it's amazing. And, and you mentioned you started this about seven years ago. So, you know, the, the seven year road to 70 million uh, certainly is, is not, you mentioned you've got a runway ahead of you. It certainly wasn't a runway to get there. I'm sure it was probably a lot of back craggy roads filled with potholes and rocks. So what, what were some of those early years like for you? What were some of the, the big roadblocks that you had to make decisions around? Yeah. I mean, before in the seven year journey started, I started doing it part-time on my own. I was working for somebody else. I did a little thing on eBay and put some mm-hmm. products out there and it was just reselling and bundling other people's stuff. Um, and it was about seven years ago. So really the, the first, the first kind of pothole there was, I kind of liked my side business. I was making some good beer money over there. I had a great job with all the benefits and the, in the paycheck every other week. Yeah. And one day my employer came to me and said, Tyler, you got to make a decision here. Either, either quit your side business and take a raise or go find another job. And that was, you know, the first kind of fork in the road. And, and I always say, man, that was the, the best ultimatum I ever got was, sure. was that decision. 
Um, and that, that put us on the path. But I, I think looking back on it, man, I, I wish I knew then what I knew now, right? Like you, 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 I'm a totally different person leader than I was when it was just me, myself. And going through those, you have to learn constantly how to change, how to be better, how to grow your company, how to not do the things you're comfortable with and do the things you're not comfortable with and learn new skill sets. Um, and it, it's, it's a journey, man. It's, it's one of those things you just constantly have to, to keep finding your, uh, the zone you're not comfortable living in and, and figuring that out and getting comfortable there and then learn to teach that to somebody else to do those things so you can keep growing and expanding. So it's, it's tough though. I've, I've had all the, all the great things have happened. We talked about all the bad things too. I've had employees steal money. I've dealt with Russian hackers. I've dealt with vendors cutting us off. I've dealt with losing big deals with customers and it all goes with the territory, but they're all learning experiences that you, you want to learn and you want to build on as you continue to grow your company. How did you, one of the things that I find in, in work with my clients um, when I'm dealing with CEOs of companies that are and sometimes in some cases stagnant is that <clears throat> they begin to operate almost out of a place of fear in their decision-making. Have you found yourself at points maybe in that? And if so, how did you overcome that? Yeah, we got stuck. I mean, so to give everyone the transition here, that first year when I, when I had quit my job, I was already doing some, some okay revenue. So that first full year, we did like three and a half million in revenue. And nice. then, then we, yeah, then we went, then we went to eight and then we went to 16 and a half, then we went to 32. So we're like double, double, double. And, 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 and through that process, um, we actually kind of hit 2019 ish kind of, kind of plateaued. I mean, look at the whole year, like we were up slightly, but it was like great month, horrible month, great month, horrible month. And we're just, mm -hmm. it wasn't that growth that you normally see. And, um, we, we really kind of came to figure out it was growing pains. And you started looking around your organization and I'm like, okay, marketing is doing a great job. We're spending a bunch of money. <laughs> then you look at the sales department and 70% of the phone calls are going to voicemail on sales calls. <laughs> and then you go to customer service and 99% of the calls are going to voicemail in, in customer service. And right. every department was growing at these different rates. And I was stuck, just like you said, I was putting on fires all day long. And you start getting worried about things all of a sudden that you don't want to get worried about. Like, why am I dealing with this little thing over here? I need to be focused on growing the company and doing these other things. We weren't doing any of that. We were just constantly just stuck dealing with what we had there. And okay. that's really tough. And the analogy I, I use a lot of people is like a pizza shop. You have one guy that makes pizzas and he ends up building 10,000 stores across the United States over the next couple of decades. And then you have the other guy that makes the same pizza, same great taste. And he's at one store for the rest of his life and he can't understand what's going right. on. And the common denominator there is really the person that owns it and the decisions mm -hmm. they're making. And one's deciding, I'm not going to worry about making pizzas. I'm going to worry about growing my business. And the other guy's like, I'm just going to worry about making pizzas and taking care of my customers and seeing what happens. And it, it's, a, it's a hard mentality shift that a lot of people get stuck in. And you see that revenue threshold in a lot of companies. I came from a family business. Mm -hmm. I can tell you, I think they're doing about the same amount of revenue now as they were doing 15 or 20 years ago. And for them, it's okay. It's a lifestyle business and that's what sure. they want to do. But uh, I have a different mentality and my mentality, I'm not an entrepreneur. I'm always like, we can do better. Like we just had a mm -hmm. record month. We can do better guys. And let's keep working on being better as a company and as individuals and as leaders. And it, it's a, it's a real mind shift that you have to get inside your company and, and worry about working on the business, not in the business. And that's, those are easy things to say, but it's definitely a hard thing to do when you have a lot of employees in your company, a lot of managers in our case, we had a lot of people that never had been a leader or a manager before. They didn't even know what that meant. And right. that, was, that was a transition that not everyone got through, but it, it's a thing you have to do if you want to keep growing your company. 
Yeah, and you mentioned as, as we were chatting before we went live that one of the biggest transitions for you personally was you go from pretty much doing everything yourself as a one-man show, and as you're growing, you need to rely on other people. And I know I've seen leaders that that can't do that. That, that feel like they've got to have their fingers on every single thing that's going on. And, and obviously the bigger you get, the, the less that's a possibility. So how did you envision that for your personal journey? Where were your sticking points where you said, gosh, I know I have to let go. It's hard. And how did you get over that? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I was stuck there and I, here was the thing. I, I did what I was comfortable with. I did the things mm-hmm. that I knew, right. Sure. I think every business owner and founder goes through the same thing. Like, I know these things. I'm going to teach everyone my way to do these things. And this is the mm-hmm. way we do things here. And what I learned was I was the one that was in the way of the growth. <laughs> I was the bottleneck. It wasn't my employees. <laughs> it wasn't my salespeople. It wasn't my marketing people. It was me. I was the, all of a sudden looked in the mirror. I was like, man, I'm the reason my company's not growing. I'm the one standing in the way. I have so many people reporting to me. and I've made everyone dependent on my decisions and coming to me for things that this is never going to scale unless I get out of the way. So that was really tough to give up control on everything inside your company, essentially. Right. And it was a bit of a process for me. And I know for anyone that's ever gone through that process, it's a really hard thing to do because you go from here's how to do things to, I don't care how you do them, but here's the goals and expectations I have for you to do this job. And that can be very difficult for people to do. And I've worked for plenty of managers. I've been in organizations before where I, I can see clearly now the reason your department or your company's not growing is because of you. And you don't, you, you can't say that to somebody up front, but you can see it right. from a mile away because yeah. they're always like, well, come to me with that. Come to me with that. I'll deal with that. That employee will tell me to do that. You know, you cannot do that. You have to find ways every day of the week to <laughs> do less of what you're currently doing and give that, uh, give that to somebody else inside your company. So you can focus on new things and focus on the future of your company. And, and did you have anyone along the road that you were trying to hand off to that kept pushing back and saying, no, you got to make this decision, boss? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of stories I can tell you. So we, we went through this. We, we brought in a consulting company. We didn't mm-hmm. know what to do. We were kind of stuck. And I just brought in a vice president. Mm-hmm. And I thought I brought him in to say, hey, I need your help to grow this thing. And he came in like, no, you need my help to fix all these fires and, and figure out a, a path forward. Okay. So brought this guy in and we brought in a consulting company uh, that we had both kind of worked with before. And we did a, we did a survey and we found out we had a lot of growing pains. We were stuck. Employees were confused on the mission. They were confused on where we're going, why we're doing things. It was just those things that were in my head, but they weren't inside the employees' heads. So we had to go through that process. And part of that process was not only training me how to be a better leader, sure. how to get our, our managers and directors, how to get them to be better leaders. And I can tell you through that process, a couple of things happened. Most of them, they were like, yeah, we're in. We believe in you, Tyler. We believe in the vision of the company. We're going we're gonna to learn some new skill sets here with you. And that was great. But we also had a couple other groups. We had some employees. Um, so, for example, I had my sales manager. He got me to 20 million really, really quick. And we're going through this process. And uh, he's not liking it. He's not getting it. And he comes to me one day and says, I can't do this. I need to, I need, I need to do something else. I want to stay here, but I cannot be your sales manager anymore. Wow. And I was like, well, that's really good because you weren't getting this anyway. And I was going to have to have a tough <laughs> conversation with you. <laughs> so we both kind of laughed about it and we moved him over yeah. to national accounts. And he's one of our, actually, he's probably the most highly paid person in our company. He does a great job for us. Mm-hmm. But we had, we had a, he tapped himself out essentially. And then we had a couple other employees that weren't getting it. 
They, yeah. they weren't learning the new skill sets to go through the training. They go right back to their old ways, bring them back in, train them right back to their old ways. I'm like, I'm sorry. Like you are not the right person for this job. Mm-hmm. You know, in some cases, those people didn't appreciate that. And they left in other cases, we found new holes, new, new roles for them. And they're doing a great job for us. Yeah. Um, but it's a tough thing to go to people that have been with you since day one and just say, I'm sorry, the company grew faster than you're growing. We got to, we got to figure this out together because we can't continue down this path. And I've been in organizations where people are way over their heads and people just kind of are still in that position due to loyalty or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And it ends up really dragging your entire organization down. It does. It does. And, and kudos to you for, for seeing that. And, and I love the story that, you know, you, you had the open conversation with these folks and gave them the opportunity to, you know, opt in or opt out. And, and um, I know uh, a client of mine had a similar situation with an employee. She, she just wasn't cutting in the job she was in, and, but they loved her as an individual. And she cared about the, the organization, moved her to a, to a new role. She's thriving. She's now their director of marketing. I mean, it's, it's amazing. You know, it's that old, you know, right person in the right seat kind of thing. And um, talent is talent. And, and, and I think it's, it's, I love hearing those kind of stories when it's like, okay, we've got good talent. Let's figure out how we put their, their best traits to use for us. Yeah. I mean, our director of operations, he was in early twenties. He was my first employee. He was working at a pizza shop before I hired him. (laughs) And now he's one of our most respected employees around here. Right. And there's there's stories like that all around. So exactly what you said, it's amazing how much talent's out there. And a lot of times people don't have it on paper, but you give them the opportunity. I mean, and they just, they just kill it. They're rock stars for us. We have so many people that we've brought in that had no business being in that role if they were, you know, would have applied for it at the time. Right. Um, but they do a great job. And I tell people all the time too, I have every new employee come sit with me for 15, 20 minutes. So I can get to know who they are. And I tell them the same thing. Look, you're new here. You probably don't know what you're doing. I've never been the CEO of a 200 person employee company before. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm figuring it out. We're going to figure this out together. And, and that's really what it's about is you got to just have that open communication. And that goes all the way down even to reviews. Like my one pet peeve with my managers is when an employee feels like they get blindsided at their annual review. Like if they're being blindsided, you did a poor job as being a manager here. You need to make sure they understand exactly where they're at and they should come into that review. There should not be any surprises that are coming out of this whole thing during that process. And it's really tough for people to have confrontational things or open conversations with employees, but you have to do it. If you don't do those things, it just, it really ends up setting you back and causing more problems than it's worth. Yeah, it, it really does. And, um, you know, it, it's interesting. Some of the comments you made, I wrote an article a little bit back uh, for, for my blog called You Don't Really Have a Talent Shortage, you know, and here's why. And then I talk a lot about the things you mentioned, like, you know, look at your people, look at, at what they're bringing to the table and try and find the right fit for them. You know, have those those discussions with your people. Um, you know, I, I, I love what you're doing. Kind of gives me chills because, you know, I'm, I'm nerding out on my HR stuff here. <laughs> but, yeah. um, you know, it's it's um, how you how you approach your people and putting them in positions to thrive is what has enabled you, obviously, to, to build the company to, to where it is today. Um, I, I want to go back to something that um, we talked about offline. And not many companies of your size have a full-time dedicated social media person. What does that person do for you? And why did you decide you needed that person? Yeah. And, and we're in the B2B space around mm-hmm. truck diagnostics, right? So I'm going to think it's like this small thing, but I can tell people listening to this, like our YouTube channel has 8 million views. 
Like it oh doesn't matter goodness. how small you think your niche is. Yeah. There's, there's an audience out there for it. And I started this company seven years ago with essentially no revenue, no brand name recognition, no nothing. And I'm competing against billion dollar corporations, right? So, <laughs> so since day one, our company is focused on online content creation, uh, SEO, digital marketing. That, that's where we get all of our leads from. Again, I'm in the B2B space. Our marketing team delivers over 2,000 leads per month, not including wow. the phone calls, right? Wow. And we do that all through digital means. So your, your market's out there. And what happened is, is we, you know, like everyone else, I'll put a Facebook page up. Well, all of a sudden you get tons of comments and run ads and, uh, you know, nobody knows what's going on. And our salespeople are busy answering the phones. They're not monitoring the online content. Mm -hmm. And we finally just said, look, let's bring in someone full-time, a social media person. And let's one, just have them kind of, kind of hold this thing a little bit tighter. Let's make mm -hmm. sure there's not ugly content going, uh, ugly sure. comments going on out there, yeah. anything oddball going on. Right. So at first it was just that, but then it quickly pivoted into two things. One, we want to have a content calendar. And we want to make sure we have the content planned out for the whole month on what you're going to put out there and when and what we're doing. You got to coordinate with sales and tech support and all these other departments. And two, we want to make sure we go, let's go find some influencers. So like we do an annual virtual event online for our industry okay. and we don't advertise in, you know, magazines and newspapers and postcards. We don't do sure. any of that. You know, what we do, we go hire influencers and we do social media marketing to go drive, drive <laughs> this thing. So literally we got YouTubers and TikTokers and whatever else sure. creating content for us, promoting our event. And that's our social media person kind of managing that whole thing. That's so awesome. yeah, it, it, it's amazing. That I pay someone full-time money to go sit around on all the social media platforms all day long, but <laughs> she does a great job. She loves it. And I, uh, going forward, I mean, I, I think any company, any size that wants to get serious about it needs to have someone like that role. But we're also really heavy on the marketing side. I said we had 200 employees. We have 10 in our marketing department. So we have a wow. full-time video person. We have a full-time writer. We have people that are over certain divisions for marketing. So mm -hmm. for me, that's a, that's a big part of any business. And I think a lot of businesses don't spend a lot of time and money or effort on. But I can tell you, you can grow a business really fast if you do it right. Yeah. Have you used your social media? Per, let me rephrase that. Has your social media presence help to influence candidates to come to you? Oh, 100%. Yeah, I, with, without a doubt. Um, you'd be amazed how many, like every week, first of all, my, like my LinkedIn profile, I mean, I, my, my posts had more than 2 million views on LinkedIn last year. Hmm. And that's not including the company stuff. So I get every single week, I had one yesterday from someone like, hey, I live near you. I've been following you for a while. I love your story. I'm a software engineer. If something ever comes up, here's my resume, would, would love, to, love to talk to you. So, so you get that, but the other piece that you get that people don't realize is prospective people are researching you. So they're out there looking like, well, who is Diesel Laptops? Who's the owner? What are they about? What do they do? So I mentioned earlier, every new employee comes in here and sits down with me for a little bit. They all know who I am. Every time I ask, like, oh yeah, I watched some of your podcasts. I watched, you know, I've been following you on LinkedIn. I follow the company. They, they know who we are and who I am before they even start here day one. And that goes really, really far into the whole culture, why people want to work here, them believing in our vision. Those are like kind of some intangible things, but are really critical to a company, especially one like us, where we're trying to blaze new trails and do new things and create this name for ourselves in the industry. You got to have everyone rolling the boat the same way. Um, so it all feeds right into that channel. I, I wish... I had a mic that I could just drop right now, right? Because that's a <laughs> mic drop moment, listeners. And, and, and the reason I say that is 
I've been having so many discussions with business leaders today about how and why their HR function needs to buddy up with their marketing function and how they need to create content because today's employees, they're doing their due diligence online. And if all they can find on you is a website that says, hey, we sell widgets and look at us for our widgets, you know, it's not enough. And um, I, I was recently involved in a search for a, an organization's first HR manager. And one of the candidates was, was talking to me. And of course, she had done some research ahead of time. And I started telling her about how involved in the community this company is. And her eyes lit up. And she said, oh, my gosh, I, I didn't find that anywhere. I'm like, I know. <laughs> I've been trying to get them. And the, the owners are very humble people. So they don't like to talk a lot about, well, we, we give back to the community and we're involved in these charities and things. And yet that's part of their story. Um, and, and so I, I'm, again, I'm getting goosebumps here. So <laughs> this is, <laughs> I think you're getting ready to say something. Yeah, I, I was going to say it, it, it is. I mean, here was my thing. I was a founder owner. I'm, I'm in this first year of my business. I don't know what I'm doing as a business owner. And I don't have like friends that are going through the same thing. My wife, you know, she's, she's there and very supportive, but she doesn't understand business and all these things that come up. Right. So who do I talk to? I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to start posting on LinkedIn. Here's my challenges. Here's what we're doing. And I've been doing that constantly several times a week for seven years now. Wow. And it, it's one, it's my outlet. It's my way to, to connect with people and show people and talk to people. And you'd be amazed at how many, not only candidates, but strategic, uh, strategic partners we have found through social media. So it doesn't go to the HR side. It goes to the strategic partners. It goes to vendors. I get leads every single week through LinkedIn which is one platform I choose to use. And sure. I'm not even out there saying, come buy from me. I'm just out there posting random stuff about what's going on in my life and my business. And people, people like that. I mean, people want to connect with people they, they want to work with. Yeah. And it's a huge part that everyone should do. And yeah, you are right. It is a little bit of humble bragging out there talking about mm-hmm. things, mm-hmm. but it's also, I go the other direction too. Like, man, this, this horrible thing just happened to us. An employee just stole $20,000 and here's how we screwed up and here's how we're going to fix it. So those are all things that we're not afraid to share and put the story out there with good, bad, or ugly, but it's just, it's part of the journey. And I think everyone knows it's not always roses and rainbows, right? There's always other stuff that happens in a business. (laughs) To me, there's no shame in talking about it. I I checked my ego at the door a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the old adage. People do business with, with people they know, like, and trust. And and you can build that online today, obviously. Yeah. So a good example of that is I met a company. um, We had talked a little bit online met in person at a trade show. Um, I can tell you now, I mean, they're a strategic, they're a strategic partner of ours. They've sold us hundreds of thousands of dollars of our tools. We've wow. given them hundreds of thousands of dollars of referrals and business. Wow. And now we do a, an annual joint venture every year where it's an online event that we do using both of our company's resources. Um, so doing things like that and promoting each other and working with people, it's all about relationships, especially in the B2B world. You got to have those people. You can't do everything yourself. You got to figure out who to bring in, when to bring in, and what situations, and work through all that. But right. generally, I like to work with people that I like. <laughs> that yeah, I absolutely. Like, right? yeah. So I, I'm sure you do too. I'm sure most of your listeners do as well. So when you look at your journey over the last seven years and the growth to 70 million, <clears throat> what do you think are the biggest maybe changes that you'll have to make as a leader personally, and the biggest cultural changes in your organization? To maintain that growth track to hit whatever revenue goals you have in the next, you know, five, seven, 10 years. Yeah. So we, we do have a three-year goal and it's mm-hmm. to, you know, it's to get to hundred million in revenue is where we want to get nice. to. And through that process, we had learned 
hey, we need to go create $20 million in new business. We're not going to get there with our current business. We need to find more revenue streams. So I I think the biggest change for me is I can even tell you two or three years ago and and before that, I was just working in the business all day long. What's going on in production, tech support, say like I was just all around just trying to help help the machine, right? And I think the biggest change that I've seen in my life is I don't really worry about that stuff anymore. I don't even look at it. I don't even know how a lot of things work around here anymore. I just know how they're executing and, and where things land. So I spend most of my time now on new products and new things and new strategic relationships. And let's make sure our financing is lined up. So if we do need to go get money, we can go get money and building those types of things. So I'm, I'm more worried about making sure we have the right systems, the right processes, the right culture and the right vision going forward. And then working with the vice presidents and senior vice presidents to make sure we're all working on that stuff together. And that's, again, the real big differentiator is those are way out of my skill set. I didn't have those skills a couple of years ago. I had to go learn those things. And you learn them by working with consultants, listening to podcasts, reading audiobooks, talking to other business leaders. Those are all things you have to do. You have to keep growing as a leader. It doesn't matter what level you're at. You can be the lowest employee in the company or the CEO. We all have to grow. If we don't, we're, we're never going to move this thing. So it's the constant, we constantly talk about it every day around here. Just be better. And we don't say because you're bad. We just know for a little bit better every single week, mm-hmm. we're going to be miles ahead of everybody else. And I can put that into some context. We were sure. 20 years late to this diagnostic game for diesel equipment. Okay. There have been competitors in this space for 20 years. Uh, some of them are billion dollar corporations. And in the next le- seven years later, I can tell you, we sell more diagnostic tools and more services than all those guys. We pass them all up and we're still on wow. a fast trajectory to just totally eclipse them. So it won't be long before we're more than, you know, probably the most of the market combined. And to us, it just means we're executing, we're providing benefits that our customers want and we're executing. And as long as we keep executing, all of a sudden your two-year, three-year, five-year, 10-year goals don't look that that big and hairy anymore. We start right. to look at them now like, man, that's actually really achievable. And when we set those goals before, we're like, man, I don't know if we're ever going to get there. But it, it just one day at a time, be better, keep working towards the goal. Well, you, you talked about the three key ingredients there. And, and I want to I want to emphasize those for, for the listeners. You talked about processes, you talked about culture, and you talked about vision. And, and every business has those things. But if they don't have them in the right proportions and they don't have them set up the right way, that's what typically will lead to failure or stagnation. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. It goes back to the pizza store analogy I use, right? The one sure. guy had a vision of, I'm going to make 10,000 stores. The other guy was, I'm going to make pizzas today. <laughs> like yeah. just two totally different mindsets, you know, same products, same people, same everything. And that's really what it comes down to is where do you want to get to as a company and where do you want to go? And I can tell you, you know, again, as a little side note, my, my personal journey, I'm mm-hmm. sitting here now and I'm starting to have to make decisions like, okay, I'm, I'm 43. I have an eight-year-old and a 10-year-old. I don't have any family that works here. Mm-hmm. You know, what am I doing? Am I, am I going to own this thing for the next 30 years and pass it to my kids? Mm-hmm. Because if I do that, I'm probably making some different decisions. I'm not going to do equity for senior vice presidents and profit. You yeah. know, like, hey, it's, it's mine. I'm going to keep this thing. If I go down the path of, well, my kids are never going to work here. I need to figure out when I'm going to leave because either I'm going to die or retire. Let's just figure <laughs> out what's, the, what's, planned, what's planned for this instead of yeah. just having it happen. Yeah. I'm probably going to go down a different route. So those are decisions that, yeah, most people don't start thinking about those probably when they're 43 and growing a company, but those are the thoughts that take up a lot of our time right now. And depending on what path you go, you start making different decisions on how you're going to do your business. And those are important things everyone needs to start working through as well before the inevitable happens 
again, when you own a company, you either die or retire. It's, it's one yep. of those two options. You got to figure yep. it out. And I'd rather have it be on my choosing versus fate or life deciding when those right. things happen to me. Um, yeah, I mean, it's very wise to, to think about those things. Um, and then, you know, even if you decide, hey, I'd like to pass this to my kids. Well, you don't know if 20 years from now they're going to want it. Right. And, and so what, what happens? There, there's lots of, of moving parts. And and to hear you thinking about that now um, is very refreshing. Um, you know, I, I, I talk to so many business owners who, you know, they're they're older than you. They're six. And they're like, I don't want to do with this business. Like, wait, what? You're. You're many, many years behind. Um, you, you've got to think about this. And, and in fact, there was a, a gentleman last year uh, who built himself a nice little consulting practice and came to me and was like, Ed, you know, I don't I, I need to get out of this thing. I don't know what to do. Well, how old are you? 68. <laughs> you yeah. like, OK, yeah. then um, let, let's talk about your options at this point. Right there. They're the windows closing here and, and what he could do, you know, it's, sell, be acquired, lock the door and, and call it a day. It, it's hard, right? It, it goes back to the saying, right? A failure to plan is a plan to fail. And it's, it's 100% true, whether it's a big thing like this or just a little piece of your life, what, whatever path it is. And we started having those conversations, right? So you bring in attorneys, you bring in estate planners, and you're like, you know, walk through, well, what if I die tomorrow? What happens then? <laughs> like, right, right. The company then, like, is it worth nothing? Like, how, how do we deal with this situation? And we had to come up with a plan. Sure. So when those things happen, we're like, okay, we have a plan at least and we can go execute. And I, I can tell you our company, we have a lot of things we think about in the future on, you know, if we're going this direction, let's start planning for all the ways this thing could play out. And those are, those are sometimes not fun conversations and you have to be working on other things, but mm -hmm. you have to do it, unfortunately. And it, it's, again, it's part of the things I had to learn as I was growing up as a CEO, all of a sudden it's not just you anymore. I got 200 mm -hmm. employees. They got families. If I die tomorrow, yep. <laughs> this could be not bad. This could be bad for not just my family, but a lot of sure. people around here. Yeah. And we got to make sure there's some continuity that exists in, in these scenarios. So I'll bring it all the way down to, we have a strategic plan in our company. We actually have 22 for all the different departments. Okay. And they have to plan every, you know, they have to plan where they want to get to. And all that's got to roll up to the three-year vision and, and all mm -hmm. these things. So it's three years ago, we were doing no planning, hundred percent execution. Today, it's like 90% planning, 10% execution, because that's all you really need to do is just go execute the plan once right. you have it. But it's a hard shift to get everyone over there. But I can tell you, once you do, that momentum can just go bigger and bigger and bigger in your company. You'll be amazed how far your company can go. That's awesome. I, I mean, I, I would love to continue our conversation. I know we're right around that, that 30 minute mark uh, for, for folks. And I certainly want to respect your time. Um, so, so what I'd like to do is give you a moment, um, you know, tell our listeners, so you told the listeners uh, about what you do. Um, what, um, what kind of customers do you work best with? You know, give us your, your elevator pitch as it were. Yeah. Yeah. So I, th I think every company has got different customer segments, right? You can't be everything to everybody. So our, our business model is a little unique. So first of all, I saw, I said, we do efficiency solutions. So we sell, uh, we make our own diagnostic tools but we also sell all of our competitors. <laughs> so we, okay. we sell everyone that will allow us to sell their product. We'll let them do it. We just take those and we surround them with our services. So our okay. best selling products aren't my products, but we just surround their diagnostic tool with my call center, my training classes, <clears throat> my repair information. And we go to market and we can be a little more consultative to customers. So all our competitors, they go to market and say, we have this one product that work great for you. Like you can't have one product that works great for everybody. It's impossible. Right. So we go to market and say, look, tell us about your company. 
How many trucks do you have? What do you work on? Who works on them? Let us be consultative to you. And that's been one of, I think, one of our key things that we've done different than everybody else is, again, our egos at the door. I don't care if it's my product or a third party that we're reselling. We got a bunch of great partners we love out there. But we're going to put the right product in front of the customer. But, but where all this goes down to, for anyone listening, I want them to get this point. Provide benefit to your customer. You will have more business than you know what to deal with. That, that's, that's really what it comes down to. If they understand, I pay X from you, I get Y out of it, whether it saves them time or money or gives them experiences or whatever it is, you will be flooded with so much business and then you just take care of them. So we always, we always our, our mentality around here is we're gonna put the customer in the right product and I'm gonna put a great customer support team around it for when they do have a problem, I'm gonna take care of them quickly and efficiently. And I know I'm gonna have a customer for life and they're never gonna go anywhere else because the fact is our competitors pretty much can't do that. So- right. That's, that's where we've gone to market. But basically our elevator pitch is really a diagnostic efficiency, a repair efficiency company for diesel powered equipment. And people don't realize that all that stuff that you wear, eat, buy, drive, it got brought there by a diesel powered piece of equipment. <laughs> could have been the farm tractor in the field, could have right. been the truck bringing it to the warehouse, the warehouse to the store. Uh, it, it doesn't matter. Um, it's a big industry. In our case, just the, the truck repair market between parts and labor is about a $70 billion a year market. And the off-highway market, the, there's more off-highway off diesel engines than on-highway diesel engines. People don't wow. realize this, uh, but that market's even bigger. So uh, we have a lot of market in front of us. So although we're doing 70 million a year in revenue, we're looking at this being like, man, we're, we're not even scratching the surface right. on where this thing can go. Um, so it, it's an exciting time for diesel laptops. So uh, in, as we, we fade out here, if folks uh, want to follow you, want to get in contact with you, how do they do that? Yeah. So the best way is LinkedIn. So just go on LinkedIn, look for Tyler Robertson or Tyler Diesel. I'll, I'll pop right up on there. Um, if they want to learn more about our company or more about the industry, they go to diesellaptops.com. We have an entire learn section on there. Uh, they, can, they can learn all about the intricacies of diesel repair and diagnostics if they want to. Uh, but we're, we're here to help people. And, uh, you know, we got some great customers out there. We've got great strategic partners. Our employees are executing and we're really excited about the future. Excellent. Tyler, th thank you so much for, for joining me this morning. Um, I, I know for sure our listeners got value. Um, I don't say this all the time and my listeners can attest, uh, you know, there, there are good interviews and there are great interviews. There were so many great nuggets today. And I, I so appreciate you sharing your journey and bearing a little bit of your soul uh, today so that uh, our, our listeners can appreciate the fact that where they're at on their journey is just where they're at. And, and it's the decisions they make and how they approach those decisions uh, that are going to determine the outcome of their companies. Well, thank you. So, I'm sorry. I was say, yeah, I was say, hey, thank you for inviting me on and everything. And I'll, I'll tell everyone this. The, the, the best day to make a change in your life or to better yourself was yesterday. The uh -huh. next best day is today. So today. go forth and make yourself better. <laughs> thank you. So for our listeners, thanks again for, for tuning in. I'm your host, Ed Crow. Thanks for tuning into the Transforming Talent podcast. We'll see you again soon. Hey, Ed Crow here. Thank you so much for listening to today's segment of Transforming Talent. If you're a business owner or executive of a business that's on a revenue freight train that you're not sure how to control, or maybe you're butting up against a revenue ceiling that you don't know how to break through, we'd love to have you on this program. Please visit my website at edcrow.com slash speaking slash podcast to apply.
Now, for our listeners out there, if you got something out of this interview and you'd love to share it on social media, please go ahead and do so. Just do a quick screenshot with your phone, text it to a friend, and post it on the socials. If you know someone who would be a great guest, tag them on social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag TransformingTalent. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We're rarely putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to my website, edcrow.com, where you can follow me on LinkedIn, Twitter, or Facebook. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next time.